As you're seated, if you want to take out your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 5, that's where we're going to be for a good part of our time this morning, Proverbs chapter 5 and 6, as we continue in our Life at the Crossroads series through the book of Proverbs. Have you ever picked up a product and seen the warning label on it? and wondered how it is that that particular warning label got put on that product. Never looked at it and thought, what happened that someone actually had to put that on that product? Some warning labels I found that are on actual products don't give me a lot of confidence in us as a human race sometimes. Things like this, um, put on a wheelbarrow, not intended for highway use, not quite sure why that one. This one really concerns me because this is a parent. Remove child before folding your baby stroller. This product not intended for use as a dental drill. On a carpenter's drill. Pull out your DeWalt and just... Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. In case your kids thought that was a good idea. Should not be used for signing checks or any legal documents on vanishing ink. Do not iron while wearing shirt. Iron on shirt pattern. And finally, perhaps my favorite, caution risk of fire on a Duraflame fireplace log. Some of the things uh, we as people, the warnings we have to put, don't say much about us as a uh, humanity that we have to put such warning labels on things. Uh, I share those with you this morning because the first, uh, what I want to share with you, the scripture I'm going to share with you, you may think at first uh, hearing it sounds a little bit like one of these warning labels. Like it sounds a little too obvious and you're not quite sure, you know, why or if that really had to be said. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6 verses 27 and 28 is where I want us to start this morning. And it says this, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Now, when you hear these at first, it may sound like, well, that's pretty obvious. Why does that need to be said? Of course not. You can't carry fire next to your body, uh, you know, and expect not to be burned. And you can't walk on hot coals despite what the motivational speakers will tell you and expect for your feet not to be scorched or burned. Seems a little superfluous to say that, especially to use God's word to say that. I mean, you know, if you try and walk on a hot surface, your feet are going to get burned, right? Or at least we should know that. The truth is, We still do things at times that even though we know they're going to hurt, we do them. Case in point, this week my wife wife and I are at the beach 
And we are enjoying the beautiful 95 degree weather and uh, we're having a nice day at the beach and we decided to go for a walk on the beach, a long walk on the beach and so we do go for a nice long walk and the breeze is blowing and the water's cool and the sand is hot but we go for a nice long walk and on the way back someone has a bright idea, I'm not going to say who but it wasn't Wendy, had a bright idea to take a shortcut back to where we started. And I thought, well, I don't want to walk all the way around the point where we came. I know where we came from. It's a straight shot back. We'll just walk through the dunes and the beach and we'll walk straight back and get to where we were coming without having to walk all the way around. And Wendy says, sure. And so we walk through the dunes, and sure enough, we're heading in the right direction. We get to the end of that path, and there is not more beach. There is a road that is there. And I say, well, I'm in this now. I'm not going to walk all the way back through the dunes and then all the way back through the beach because that's a longer walk, and I'd have to admit I was wrong, so we're not doing either of those. So we're going to, I figure we can just walk down this street and I know where we came from. It's going to connect and we'll get over there. So we'll just walk on the street for a little while. Did I mention we were walking on the beach and so we don't have shoes on? And did I mention it's 95 degrees and the asphalt has been baking in the heat all day? And so we're walking on the road because I know it's not that far. And Wendy's not really saying anything, but I see her doing this with her feet. We eventually get back to where we were hoping to get to and get down. The first thing we do, of course, is go down to the water. And I think we half expected steam to come off the water when we got there. You cannot walk on 95 degree hot asphalt and expect not for your feet to get scorched. You can't carry fire next to your body and expect not to get burned. You can't walk on hot coals and affect expect your feet not to get burned. So why does this father take the time in Proverbs to give this advice to his son? Because we've said as we walk through the book of Proverbs, what we're looking at is a father giving advice to his son and giving him wisdom, and God is giving us wisdom through this, uh, through this book. Well, he's not really talking about how to carry and how to deal with hot objects. What he's really talking about is how to deal with hot feelings. What the author of Proverbs at this point is really talking about and talking to his son about is how to deal with sex and sexuality. And in fact, a large chunk of the book of Proverbs, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and then various verses throughout it, are a father talking to his son about sex and sexuality. And earlier this morning when we were in our morning prayer time, one of, one of our leaders said, well, you know, that just shows that, that it is a father giving his son advice because it's like, you know, he's having the talk with his son. And I thought, well, it would be a little more, you know, I, it would be a little more credible to me that it's a father giving advice to his son if, if the talk went something like, uh, son, you know, girls, and you're good, right? Okay. All right. Good talk. Because that's how the talk went for some of us. You know, your father didn't have his father give him a talk, and so he didn't know what to do with you, and so it was just, all right, don't do anything stupid. All right, you know, maybe you got that. But it is actually, this is actually a father sitting down with his sons and saying, look, you got to know how to handle this because you're going to have some temptations that are going to come your way 
and it's going to try and take you off course, and you have to know how to handle this, and this is what this is talking about. Uh, and so this is, so think about this as we're looking at this, that this is like a father sitting down with his son for this talk and imparting some wisdom in life on this. And why do we, you know, why do we talk, you, you're here on a July summer Sunday morning, you're thinking, Pastor, I just wanted a nice feel-good message, come in, tell me about God, and I want to go out, why do you have to come in here, we're talking about sex, I'm uncomfortable already. Well, the reason, there's a number of reasons, but one reason is because everyone else is talking about it in your life, and you ought to hear about it, and we ought to hear about it in church, what God has to say about it, <clears throat> because there's a number of voices they're going to try and tell you this is how you handle it, and that's how you handle it. Um, but I like what uh, Pastor Brian often uses the illustration of if my iPhone's not broken, I don't take it to the Microsoft store, right? If your iPhone is broken, you don't take it to the Microsoft store to get fixed. You take it to the Apple store because Microsoft didn't make your iPhone. They don't know how your iPhone actually works, and so they can't really fix it. And if we've got a problem in our world and something's broken, well, I don't need to go to other people who are also broken. And didn't. I need to go to the one who made this world and who made me and who made you. And I need to say, well, how do we fix this? And so that's one of the reasons we do it. And because we go through the word of God in our, in our teaching and in our learning here, the first word of our kind of values is learn. And so what the word of God talks about, we want to hear about. And so this is an important, and it's an important aspect of our lives. And we're talking about life at the crossroads. And here is where life and God's word intersect. Because this is a big part of our life outside of this church. And we need to talk about what God has to say about it. So I'm going to give you my idea, the big idea of the scriptures we're looking at right up front. And then we're going to take a few minutes to unpack that together. But here's the idea of chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Proverbs. And we're going to unpack this together in a moment. For better or for worse, you cannot separate sex from its consequences. For better or for worse... You cannot separate sex from its consequences. There are consequences that are, uh, can be positive from our use of sexuality, uh, but there are also ones that are negative, but you cannot separate them. Uh, and we want to talk about that a bit this morning. Uh, so what I want to look at first is chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 14, and I want to look at this idea of the fact that just like carrying fire next to your body, you can't avoid those consequences of getting burned, how we deal with sex in our lives and sexuality, if we deal with it carelessly, there are also consequences to that. Here's what the father says to the son. Now again, this is a father talking to his son, but I don't doubt that the same advice would be given to young ladies uh, in how they handle sexuality and sex in their life. But this is a father talking to his son, and here's what he says. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. 
Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. One of the reasons we need to look at what the Bible has to say about this is because of Proverbs 14.12, which we've referenced previously in the weeks. And Proverbs 14.12 says, there's a way that seems right to man but the end of it is death. And here's what this father's telling his son. Look, there's a way that is going to seem right to you. In fact, he starts out with this metaphor. It says, her, it says from her, watch out for the lips of the forbidden woman. Drip, her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, honey tastes sweet. And there's a way that's going to seem sweet. And there's a way that's going to seem right. And you're going to be tempted to follow it. But then he follows that up with the next verse. And it says, but in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as any two-edged sword. You're going to be tempted to think it's sweet. You're going to be tempted to think this is the road to follow. But what's sweet has a bitter aftertaste is what this father tells the son, that you need to look down the road to where this is going and not just look in the door to where you're tempted to walk right now. He's basically telling them, look, there's a proper place for this and you need to keep it in its proper place for love and sexuality. In our backyard, we have a fire pit and we have some good nights around that fire pit where we'll roast marshmallows and make s'mores and and, uh, just in the fall, kind of hang out and enjoy the weather. But at times, you'll put a log in there and you know how this is if you've been around an open fire. It'll pop and crackle and sometimes when it pops, if you're watching, one of those logs will throw off a little coal and it'll pop out onto the ground. And if you've got grass or dry grass around your fire pit, you've got to be careful because that'll quickly catch something on fire and you need to put that coal right out. Why? Because the fire belongs in the fire pit and it's great in the fire pit. It keeps you warm. You can cook on it. You can enjoy it. But when it gets outside the fire pit, it gets dangerous. And this father is telling his son, there is a place for your sexuality. There is a place for this fulfillment in the marriage covenant that God has given. But when you go outside of that, it's like fire outside the fire pit and it gets dangerous and there are consequences to it. So don't be careless with sex is essentially what he's telling his son. There's a world around you that is going to be very careless And you're going to be tempted to be careless in the most literal form of that word. 
to care less for another person than what they can provide for you in their body. You can be careless with your sexuality to care less about the eternal consequences that might happen or the consequences to other people in your life. You could care less. Don't be careless with sex. And if you think about our world, our world, well, it's a little different. In the Proverbs, he says, watch out for the, the woman, the forbidden woman. And, and the image is, you know, you can walk down the street and she might be standing outside her door. That wasn't just women. Again, if, you're, if this was a man talking to his daughter, there were male prostitutes around. And I think the same warning would be given. Watch out for that woman that's standing outside her door and trying to get you to come in. And it looks sweet, but it has a bitter aftertaste. But you may walk down Cambridge Street in Burlington and you don't see that woman or that person outside their door. But you don't have to go outside, do you? Because you got cable in your house and we have high-speed internet and Wi-Fi and we've got all kinds of things that that father never thought about that he would have to deal with and warn his son about. Because in our world, it's a lot easier to access and be careless with sex even than in that world. Well, you say, well, I, you know, not sure that's true. Well, every second, every second, 28,258 people are using pornography. Every second, over $3,000 is spent on pornography on the internet. 40 million Americans regularly visit pornography sites. 35% of all internet downloads, 35, that's more than a third of all internet downloads are related to pornography. One particular uh, website gave some statistics of 2017. This is just one year. In one year to this one website, there were 28.5 billion visits to the website. Billion. 81 million daily average visits. 25 billion searches. 50,000 searches per minute, 800 searches per second, 68 years worth of content uploaded in one year. Our society is careless with sexuality. Our world is careless with sexuality. It's accessible. It's easily accessible. And attempt... And it's out there like the woman at the door with honey on her lips saying, you know, the way seems right. Don't worry about it. Consenting adults, click on it. No problem. I had one pastor I was talking to recently, talking to his teenage son about uh, the internet and trying to coach him on it a little bit. And he was actually talking about news feeds and the danger of just following news feeds. And he said this, and I thought it was, it's obvious but it was also helpful insight. He said, you know that the people populating those news feeds don't have your soul's best interest in mind, right? 
I mean, you know that the person populating BuzzFeed or, 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 or whatever is Huffington Post or, or the news that's there, they don't have your best interest. You know, they're not, they're not thinking about, well, I wonder how we can nurture Christian's soul today. Like, that's not their goal. Their goal is just to get you to click and then to click again and spend a little time and click again and click again. Their goal is not, how can I nurture your soul and draw you closer to Jesus? And that's obvious, but at the same time, it's important for us to understand that you have a different goal than some of the things that you are following and clicking on all the time. Their goal is just get them to click more so I can tell my boss that they clicked more. We live in a society that's very careless with sex, and it's very readily available. And there's consequences to that, and we need to be aware of that. And we'll talk about those consequences in just a second. But before we get there, I want to look at another passage. Let's look at chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. Because there's particular warnings the father gives the son about when he's married. And particular warnings, not just about carelessly handling sex in general, but about adultery about going outside the bonds of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman to handle and fulfill sexual desires. And he says this, chapter 6, verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Stop there for a second. The way of life. So he's saying, look, all the commandments, all the teaching, all the instruction that you've received from your mother and I, that we get from God, here's the end goal. It's the way of life. We're trying to lead you in the way of life. We're trying to lead you in the way of God. And then verse 7, it goes on from there. Or picking, I'm sorry, verse 24. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not desire a th- despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. What the Father is saying is this road that you might be considering has consequences to it. It has immediate consequences in this life and beyond this life. It'll cost you honor. It'll cost you standing in the community. 
It'll cost you standing in the eyes of the people you love. That's what, that's what these things say. You know, in, verse, in chapter 5, I already read it, lest you give your honor to others, your years to the merciless. Strangers take their fill of your strength. Your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And then in this one about adultery, he says, for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Well, what is he saying? He's saying if you commit adultery with a married woman, you are not only with that woman, you are affecting and offending that woman's husband, her life and her children and all of that, and he is going to come after you and there is going to take revenge and there is a cost to the path and the road that you are considering. And so a wise father tells his son, look, look down this road and see where it takes you. Because if you do, what you're going to find is it's not a place you want to go. And that's what the father is saying to the son, but it's also what God's word is saying to us. If you're considering those actions, look down this road. See where it leads. Is that really the road where you want to end up? You look at the end of chapter 5. I don't have these verses on the screen, but let me read them for you. Chapter 5, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders his, all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Here's where it leads. Is that where you want to go? It leads apart from God. There are effects too. There's consequences. And for better or for worse, you cannot separate sex from its consequences. There's other things even outside of the Bible that are recognizing the consequences of our carelessness of sex, specifically our addiction in this world to pornography and the effect it has, not just on our relationships, but actually on our physical bodies and specifically on our brains. So one writer says, understanding the brain is pivotal. God designed oxytocin as the glue for human bonding. During sexual release, oxytocin, along with other neurochemicals, are released and cause us to emotionally bond with our partner. When you watch porn, powerful neurotransmitters transmitters, such as dopamine are also released, which bond you to those images. This is why Satan attacks our sexuality so much because attacking human sexuality, it actually interferes with human bonding. According to one neuropsychologist, Dr. Tim Jennings, any type of repetitive behavior will create trails in our brain that are going to fire on an automatic sequence. The repeated viewing of porn <clears throat> literally cha changes the physical structure of their brain. <clears throat> or a more, an easier way to remember this, more colloquial way of saying it, the way I remember it, <clears throat> is what fires together wires together. That's the way our brain works. What fires together wires together. If you get those synapses constantly firing on one stimuli again and again, your brain actually creates pathways that, it's gonna, that are going to be well-worn and it's going to continue to want to walk and it's going to continue to want to be filled in your desire because what fires together wires together. And so your brain starts to actually become rewired in this and there are consequences to our carelessly handling sex. 
Covenant Eyes uh, Internet Accountability, Christian Internet Accountability Group, has tracked some things that uh, being curious with sex uh, also affects. It increases the odds of teenage pregnancy. Teenagers with frequent exposure to sexual content on TV, TV have substantially greater likelihood of teenage pregnancy. Hinders sexual development. Pornography viewing by teens disorients them during the developmental phase when they have to learn how to handle their sexuality and are most vulnerable to uncertainty about their beliefs and moral values. Raises the risk of depression. Significant relationship also exists among teens between frequent pornography use and feelings of loneliness, including major depression. And it has effects on the family. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%, according to one study. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new love interest over the internet, while 56% of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. There's an effect. There are consequences. Our world will say there are no consequences. As long as you have consent, that's all you need. As long as you have consent, don't worry about it. It won't affect you. Two consenting adults is all you need. And there's no effects. It won't cost you anything. I mean, you can't get any more like Proverbs. Sweet as honey, but a bitter aftertaste. It's not going to cost you anything. No one tells you the cost up front. No one tells you the cost up front of adultery, violating your vows, or persistent use of pornography, but many will be able to tell you after the fact, and people sitting in these seats today, some can tell you there's a cost. There's a cost. Because you know it, because you're dealing with it, because you've dealt with it, because you've paid it, because you're still paying it. God's word is telling us, look down the road. There's a cost that's going to be paid if you deal with it carelessly. But, for better or for worse, you can't separate sex from its consequences. That's the undisciplined sexual life. There's one other thing to look at just before we end today. The path of disciplined sexuality leads to our fulfillment and to God's glory. There is a better to sexuality as well. There is a reason it was created. It's not something that Satan dreamed up to lure you away from God. It's something that God created as a gift and Satan twists to lure you away from God. I think C.S. Lewis is right when he says no pleasure was ever created by Satan. All pleasures, because every good gift is given by God, all pure and right pleasure is a good gift given by God, but Satan will happily twist that to try and lure you away. But there is a better consequence that it's also connected with. We should ask, well, why did God create sexuality? What is this gift for? Let me give you four quick purposes. I'm, not, I'm just going to go very quickly through these. God's purpose for sex. One is reproduction. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's not just so there's more people, though God had that in mind. More people, more more relationships, more glory for God, populating heaven. Yes, but it also gives you the point and the opportunity to participate in the creative process like your creative God whose image you were created in. Be fruitful and multiply. God's purpose for sex is unity. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall 
become one flesh. There is an intimacy that is a unity that is allowed with complete vulnerability that is known. And one of the, the two words that described Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, they were naked and unashamed. There is an intimacy that is allowed and created there. God's purpose for sex is joy. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, Proverbs says. There's a pleasure and a joy to it. And God's purpose for sex, finally, fourth purpose, whatever you do in word or deed. We looked at this in Colossians 3.17. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We may not think of this when it comes to sexuality, but ultimately everything in our lives is worship to God. Everything in our lives is either saying, God, you are on the throne or I am on the throne. Everything in our lives, in word or deed, is saying, God, I will honor you with this part of my life, or God, I will use it how I want in this part of my life. And you don't have to be married, you don't have to be in a married relationship to worship God with your sexuality, because every one of us has to say, God, how do I treat it? How will I handle this? Will I keep the fire where it belongs? And as I do, what I'm saying is, God, I will trust you more than I trust me. God, I will follow your direction more than my desire. God, I will trust you with my pleasure and my pain. Because a lot of us want to trust God with our pain. God, help me in this and come through in my time of pain. But some of us never want to trust God with our pleasure. God, if you say my ultimate pleasure is going to be found in you, if you say the ultimate pleasure is going to be found in handling sex this way, then I will trust you in it. Because I love you and I worship you and you're God and I'm not. There's an opportunity to worship God in it. And to bring honor and glory to God in this part of our life. And God has created it and given it as a gift. There's a way to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God, I trust you. There's a way that seems right. But God, I will trust the way that you say is right. I trust you. Keeping in mind that our sexuality is only a small part of ourselves and only for a short amount of time, our world would have you forget that. It would have you say, no, your sexuality is a huge part of who you are, and it's the biggest part, and you are less of a person if you don't fulfill your desires in that. Remember, outside of the covenant of marriage where God has created that place where it's supposed to be, there's there's no sex there, God's saying, and then after this life, Jesus said, there's no marriage beyond this life because he was asked that at one point. Oh, what's marriage going to be like? You know, they were trying to trick him. They said, you know, who is she going to be married to in the afterlife? And Jesus says, you you know, essentially says, you're asking a foolish question. Don't you know the scriptures? You're not given in marriage after this life. You're not married to one another. You're like the angels in heaven. You're not married to one another. So this sexual part of yourself is for a very short part of time because eternity is a very long time. Jesus was on this earth for 33 years. He never had sex and he was no less of a person. So don't be convinced of this lie that you are somehow less of a person if you are not expressing this part of your life in a certain way. This is one small slice of who we are. God says how we're supposed to handle it, and it does give us opportunity to worship and glorify him. 
For our world, the highest standard is often consent. Not only does sex give you an opportunity to love God, but it also gives you an opportunity to love your neighbor, the first and the second commandment. Because I am called to love my neighbor as myself. That means that consent cannot be the highest standard for the Christian. You have to go to a higher standard in your relationship, and that is interest and love. In other words, even though you consent as a Christian, I am not committed to not simply acting against your will. I am committed to not acting against your interest. So if I know that your best interest is to preserve this part of yourself until you are in the sacred covenant of marriage that God has ordained, then I cannot act simply because you consent. I must not act. I must act in accord with your interest if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And that is how it's to be handled. So it gives me an opportunity and to love my neighbor as well to say that, no, you are not just an object but you are a soul that will live for eternity and I need to be more concerned about your soul than your body. But that's not the way our world works. God says this is the right way to handle it. The disciplined life. Finally, how do you do this? The paths of disciplined sexuality must be chosen. Robert Louis Stevenson in the 1800s wrote a book called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's, maybe you're familiar with the book. Maybe you're familiar with the movies. But in it, Dr. Jekyll comes up with this serum and he takes it and when he drinks it, he becomes a, a different personality. He becomes this Mr. Hyde. And at first, he has control over it, but for not for long, after a while, the Mr. Hyde starts to take over Dr. Jekyll and starts to the two... and starts to take over the body and the story is these two personalities jostling for one body. And Stevenson was once asked where he got the model for the characters Jekyll and Hyde to which he responded, I found it within my own nature. I find that there is always a struggle with the beast that lives within me. And with that, similarly within every child of God, there's a battle for control, a battle for supremacy. In our last sermon series in Colossians chapter 3, we talked about this. It says there's things as a Christian you are supposed to put off and there are things you're supposed to put on. And you are to set your mind on the things of Christ and to set your mind on things above. And there is a work of God involved in that. We are dependent on him and there is an expectation of us to choose those things in our lives. Focus on the one who's already won the battle. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and God battles and fights for you. Focus on the one who's already won the battle. Focus on Jesus in your life. Speaking of battle, I would recommend there's a couple books. I, if, you're, if you're struggling with pornography in that area, men or women, women, because women, if you're just thinking women aren't involved in this, the statistics don't bear that out. Women are caught up in pornography just as much as men are. Every man's battle and every woman's battle, there are a couple books you can start off with if, if you need something, resources to start with. There's a lot of other good Christian resources out there. Feed what matters. Whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve dies. 
If you continue to feed these things in your life that are unhealthy in a place path you don't want to walk, they'll continue to grow. Whatever we feed grows, whatever we starve dies. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Have intentional relationships. Be intentional in your relationships. Those ones that are God-honoring, invest in those. Those ones that are gonna take you down a road that's not healthy, run from those. As we talk about a path and a crossroads, I would say give this road a wide berth. You don't need to be playing near the edge. There's no point. You don't need to be playing near the danger. Put your guardrails in this area in your life, pull them way in. So that if you bump those guardrails, you're nowhere near the danger zone. Whatever that might mean for you. I don't know what that means for you. You go in and you're renewing your cable package and they say, we can throw these channels in for free. And you say, I don't need those. I don't want those in my house. Cost money to have internet filters or whatever else you need. Bring those guardrails way in for your life, for your family. Sign up for something like Covenant Dies. We got a subscription to the church you could use. Have an accountability partner on that. Focus on your spouse if you're married. Continue to invest in your marriage and your relationship. <clears throat> invest and grow your love for one another. If you're not married and you hope one day to be married, then focus on that spouse that God will one day bring you. Pray for that spouse, wherever she or he is, that God may bring into your life because they're facing similar temptations as you are right now. Accountability and confession. I can't emphasize this enough. Have a person in your life as a confessor. The Bible says confess your faults one to another. We don't do this very well sometimes. I don't know if it's because we're too proud. I don't know if because we don't know how to do it. We, don't, we, we're, we are too scared. But it says confess your faults one to another. I think one of the reasons God does that is because he knows that one of our temptations and one of the enemy's strategies is to get us to hide. And we want to hide and we want to depend on ourselves. And if I don't confess to you and let you know this is a problem, I think what I'm saying is I can fix it on my own. And then I don't have to tell you about it. What I can do is 10 years down the road, I can tell you, oh, this used to be a problem for me, but now I'm over it. I can fix it on my own. But the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. And if you're a man, then you need another man of God that you can confess your faults to in your life. If you're a woman, you need another woman of God that you can confess your faults to in your life. Who you say, I've asked God to forgive me. I'm asking you to pray for me. Here's what I'm struggling with. Because when Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin, they were described, like I said, as naked and unashamed. But once sin came in, what did they do? God said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Adam, where are you? God knew where they were. He's God. But what did he want? He wanted them to answer. I heard you and I hid. I hid. And they covered themselves because they were ashamed. And ever since then, men and women have been hiding and covering. Hiding and covering from God. Hiding and covering from each other. 
hiding and covering, and that's what we do, and that's our temptation. Have someone in your life who you can confess to. I think we get to the point where we think we're actually hiding it from God, where God actually doesn't see it. Because I'll tell you what you get when you get a confessor, someone that you can confess to and really be honest to. What you have is someone who knows you and loves you. And very few of us have people in our lives that fully know us and love us. Because what we think is, if I tell you this about me, if I tell you what, how I've sinned, if I tell you what my mind is constantly entertaining and what I'm wrestling with in my flesh, you won't love me. And maybe God doesn't love me either because of that. And so the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray for each other. Bear each other's burdens. I promise you, whatever you're wrestling with, you're not the only one in this room that has wrestled with it. But you think you are. You think you are. But that's exactly what the enemy would want you to think. As we close, I'm going to have our music team come back. Let me just close with this last point, and that's this. What do you do if you've already been burned? What do you do if you've already been burned? You listen to this message, and you say, Pastor, I needed this one 20 years ago. I've already made those decisions. I've already walked that road. I'm already paying the cost. What do you do if you've already been burned? Well, we've already talked about it. I've already said it. First thing you do is confess. You confess to God. John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 1, 18 says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Confess to God and receive his forgiveness. I think one of the best examples to look at it, to close the message out like this, is John chapter 8, where the religious leaders trying to trick Jesus bring this woman caught in adultery, which the Greek literally reads, caught in the act of adultery. So that raises all kinds of questions. Why they knew where she was, why they let it go on, why, where's the guy, all kinds of questions. But anyway, they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus throw her down Jesus what do you want us to do the law says to stone her Jesus says whoever is without sin let him cast the first stone the scriptures say he goes down writes some things in the sand I wish I knew what he was writing but we don't they all drop the rocks and go away and he turns to the woman where are thy accusers none Lord Jesus' words are neither do I condemn you go and sin no more and both of those things are hugely important to us you can't separate them neither do I condemn you John chapter 3 verse 17 he came not into the world to condemn the world but the world might be saved through him. Neither do I condemn you and go and sin no more. 
Now, you and I will never live a sinless life this side of heaven, but you can sin less. You can gain victory over things in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And in this part of your life, as we close and we go to prayer, you may be saying, Pastor, I've tried it. And I just can't get it. And I will tell you this, when it comes to this part of your life, once in a while and very rarely have I seen someone delivered in that moment from it. More often than not, it is the daily process of becoming more like Jesus, of following him, of pressing in, of saying, God, heal me of this. More often than not, it is every day getting into God's word, trusting in God's spirit, and following him. And what you learn and what happens is all of a sudden you do that and you're doing that and you make that a habit of your life and you're pressing into God and you're focusing on the one who's won the battle and then it's five and ten years down the road and you look back and you say, whoa, I'm not the person that I was. God has been at work in my life. I've been confessing, I've been praying, I've been seeking, I've been searching, and God has been at work. Because Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, and God is leading you and drawing you in. But you keep on that path of following God. You keep on that path of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Would you stand with me? Lord, we come to you this morning and I thank you for your word that is not irrelevant, immune, or afraid to touch those very personal areas of our lives, God. I thank you that your word meets us at the crossroads of the struggles in our lives. And I thank you that you're holy unchanging inspired word is not afraid to address the sinful dirty places in our lives the same way that Jesus the holy son of God came and walked in the dust and dirt of this earth leaned upon the shoulders of sinful men touched sinful men and women the same way your word comes into our lives and meets us at those very places where we need you. And so I pray for the men and women in this room this morning, Lord. I pray for men and women who, Lord, need freedom and need you to break their bondages and need you to break their chains. And I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would bring freedom. I pray that you would bring victory and healing. Lord, I ask for those that have tried time and time again that this morning they recommit to focusing on you, to pressing in, to trusting you, to letting you be on the throne of our lives. And Lord, this morning I pray for marriages that have grown cold, men and women who are living with each other as roommates, but their marriage is on life support. God, I pray that you would bring life out of death. I pray that what you, the resurrection power and the resurrected Lord can only do because you have power over life and death. I pray that you would bring life into those marriages. I pray that you would rejuvenate love, that you would rejuvenate hope, that you would bring energy and love for one another and love for you, a renewed interest and strength, Lord, that comes only from you, a work that only you can do. 
We ask that you would do that today, God, in the name of Jesus. God, for men and women who are struggling with addiction to pornography, Lord, God, that you would set free today, that you would, Lord, give a hunger and a thirst for you and for you alone today. Lord, I ask, God, that you would set us right, that you would rewire our brains, that you would rewire our hearts, and may they be focused on you and on you alone, Lord. God, search our hearts, even as we sing this final song of worship to you. Search our hearts. Lead us as we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.